On this week's episode of Diet Starts Monday, we recollect ourselves from the midterm elections, uh, talk about how all the old people need to die, and have another wonderful guest on to talk to us a little bit about education. It's your three favorite gals thriving on the East Coast, figuring it out and always doing the most. We've got our ups and downs at the end of the don't forget, diet starts Monday. Yeehaw! <laughs> uh, we should have planned that better. It was, it was fine. It was like, um, it was, um, you know, was we're getting a little bit of all the representation. Everybody's here. I was into it. Roll call. Shabuya. Um, no, don't start that. <laughs> that's true. Um, hey, everyone in the whole world who's listening. I know it's most of you. Um, Hi, Oprah. Uh, Oprah, girl, we love bread too. Um, welcome back to another riveting episode of Diet Starts Monday. Ah, a lot happened. And this is just a theme in the world. Wow. Brandon's it, like, welcome. Let's get into it. Honestly, because we don't have time to waste. Because don't. Honestly, because honestly, by the time this comes out, we could all be dead. That's true. Shit, breaking news is still happening in this whole moment. Um, so let's just things. get into it. What what's going on, y'all? Who what's on your spirits? Yeah. So okay, biggest and baddest thing: midterms. They happened. We told y'all to vote. Did you listen to us? We don't know, but a lot of things happened in the midterms. Yeah. Um, as of where it stands right now when we're recording, uh, there's actually a handful of races who still haven't been decided, particularly um, some of the ones that have been really closely followed. The governor race with um, Stacey Abrams in uh, Georgia is still hotly contested because voter suppression. Uh, fingers crossed by the time we hear this, like we'll have some good news. But, you know, we have no way of knowing right here and now. Uh, the Florida races are were originally thought that those were like dead and done but plot twist plot twist indeed looks like we're really close to recounts in a lot of other major places uh but i feel like it's worth taking a second to celebrate a lot of the good things that have already come out of that like maya or Aj, either of you want to just like speak about things you're hype about from the midterms yeah hella firsts in the midterms just so so many so many dope women of color stepping up and taking office we have what First two Native women to ever be elected into Congress, the first two Muslim women to ever be elected into Congress, the first Black woman to be elected in Massachusetts and Connecticut, I believe. Um, what else? I'm forgetting. There was an things. openly gay. It was either like a senator yes. or a governor, and was it Colorado? Openly I want to say governor, and um, yeah, it was an openly openly gay governor who has the cutest family in the entire world. Oh, they're so fresh, and one of the Native women is also, I believe, a lesbian. Um, somewhere she in the LGBTQ, also, and I am so here yeah. for that as well. Um, also, so one of the Muslim things. women wears hijab, and I think that was another first as well. Yeah, it was literally so wild. Someone on Twitter was like, if you're having a bad day, just remember that Mike Pence has to swear in two women on a Quran. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? The Lord blesses in little ways. Well, you took the words right out of my mouth, sis. Oh, Aj, over in the Big Apple, you know who I'm super hype about? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She is my bitch. I love her. 
Um, she was elected to Congress. She is a self-identified socialist. And she's like, yeah, and what you going to do about a bitch? So um, we love her. Um, who else? I mean, just like, I think the number was 100 women were elected to the House. Yeah, it was the House. First openly lesbian mother in Congress. First, Texas has its first two Latina Congresswomen, which is wild if you think about what the population yes. of Texas looks like. Speaking of Texas, the love of my life, Beto, fought so, so hard, gave Zodiac Killer a run for his money. Honestly, I feel like there are hidden votes out there, and Beto technically won, but... A lot of people, not a lot of people, but someone had um, mentioned that, like, there's a you know possibility for, like, a Beto 2020 presidential campaign. I don't know if that's, like, been confirmed or anything by him, but... Um, like it's it seems to be that something like something that people would be interested in, myself included, because I think he's great. Also, though, like could go for a woman or a minority in general, but you know, someone a little more spicy. But if it has to be a white a nice man, spicy white, at this point, as we like to say, fine. <laughs> just not Trump. Uh, a TBC. <laughs> oh, yes, a spicy Beto is TBC, um, but he's better than TBCs. TBCs are the white boys that like hurt your spirit, but you love them anyways, like John Mayer. <laughs> Beto is an acceptable. <laughs> he's the, he's a better B in TBCs. Yeah, but overall, the Dems took back the House. So welcome back to the world of checks and balances in the U.S. government. Um, Maxine, Auntie Maxine, I heard, is like in charge of the Finance Committee. And she's like, listen, boo, we come in for them tax records. So overall, lots of wins, I think is the, the resounding theme of the midterms. Not to be a Debbie Downer, though, but, like, the checks and balances may be a little less balanced because poor RBG uh, broke three ribs, I believe, this morning. Uh, um, yeah, which, like, you're in our prayer, sis, because we fucking need I you. I got that CNN alert, and I thought she was dead. I was so stressed. She is, like, the Supreme Court system i don't know whatever whatever she or, you know what i mean like she like is the foundation of that structure so like please don't like just not yet please or Me i mean ideally not at all but like not at this moment yeah <laughs> like all of us are praying for your speedy recovery like, says. amen i just don't even want to like we won't speak anything else into it besides positivity pull through she's she's just she got a boo-boo and and we love her. She'll and be we fine. Need- she works out every day. She's gonna be fine. She's gonna put on one of her iconic collars, and it's gonna be like it never happened. Into it. Something um, that did happen. Yes. Jeff Sessions is out. And <laughs> ironically, apparently Chris Christie is a front runner for his position. Chris Christie, who I what? thought fell off the bridge that he shut down in New York, but apparently wow. is still on this planet. I, uh, I thought that didn't... Uh, I'm just confused. I thought literally like Trump was just like making fun. I thought he was one of the ones that Trump like clashed with and made fun of and is. shit. They, you, so was Ted Cruz. These men have no scruples. Like, Ted Cruz, literally, Trump called Ted Cruz's dad like a murderer or called Cruz, I don't know, he called him Lion Ted and said his wife was ugly. And Ted Cruz was like, but that's the homie. So I don't get it at all. I thought Chris Christie was in jail. Apparently he's not. Also, Mitt Romney is in Congress now. Who, I was like, what? In like Utah, which is unrelated to anything. But like Mitt Romney, where did you come from? I thought we left you in 2012. It's just too much. Hashtag just too much. I just, 
I think my most, like my biggest takeaway from all this is that I just need a lot of old white people to die. <laughs> um, before 2020. Okay. Um, I, I'm into it. You I'm, know what? Yeah. Measles and like the mumps and stuff are all back because people are all these anti-vaxxers. So maybe <laughs> all these vulnerable <laughs> Oh god! Like, if we're lucky, you know how they have those programs where they take children to senior centers so like they can interact with each other. Maybe these kids will just start sneezing on old people, <laughs> and then they'll be like, "Oh, I've got the shingles," and then keel over. <sighs> Fingers crossed. Um, you know, people have probably heard enough about politics for the last sixty thousand years, uh, anyway, um, since the Avatar last disappeared. So let's. I'm cool to just keep it pushing. Other things happened. Happy things. Um, Gabrielle Union and Dwayne Wade just had a secret baby, and I cried. Uh, Wait, but I heard it was through surrogacy, but wasn't she in taking pictures in hospital stuff? Yes, it's because she did immediate skin-to-skin with the baby as soon as it was born. Um, I see. Yeah, That's but good. like... I think uh, that was like, she's been snatched, like, this entire time. So I was like, there's no way she was, like herself physically pregnant although obviously this is her child i was like how would that even be a thing so i was yeah. very confused but i thought gotcha. that was, that I, I mean i thought it was the world's best hidden pregnancy when i first saw the pictures and then i like read and i was like oh be a surrogate but like shout out to her gabrielle union has been so open about the fact that like she has struggled with infertility i think she's had like nine miscarriages mm-hmm. so that is just so beautiful also they had a girl and they only have sons so like this little girl about to have three brothers who are going to protect the shit out of her. And I just love babies. So I was really happy to see that in the news. Uh, other things that are exciting. So last time that there was a sexiest man alive, it was somehow declared Blake Shelton or something. Uh, so we got some good news the other day. They, they named Idris Elba the sexiest man alive. And I think that restored some faith in the judgment of what is that people magazine that does that? Yes. Because honestly, like I think they could have taken a couple notes from our show and selected just like at least last year, someone great, but I'm, I'm, I'm just so hype about Idris getting that recognition. What is he a third black man to be recognized for that? Yeah. So third, I mean, here's the thing. The rock is technically black. I don't know if he identifies as black or not, but like Shut he would be the no third. Bl- yeah, his dad is black Canadian. Like one of the, I, I literally went into a deep dive because I wanted to be sure that I tweeted correct information. And apparently his, he's descended, he's descendant of the black people who left the U.S. and traveled to Canada to like Nova Scotia or something after the war. And so he's technically black Canadian and like Irish and Samoan or something. Hey, my nigga. <laughs> I <didn't even> know. <laughs> so third black man Denzel got it in 96 Dwayne got it in 2016 and now Idris got it this year so I'm here for it um, there was I think one other important thing to touch on um, and y'all are I'm sure all hip out here in this world because you know you don't live under rocks but in between our last recording and now there have been uh, super sadly and tragically, two more uh, shootings um, in our country in different places. Um, the shooting at the synagogue in uh, Pittsburgh 
And then more recently, um, the shooting in California, I believe, um, mm-hmm. in like a bar and one, so one in the synagogue in Pittsburgh and one in the bar in California, um, with fatalities at both. <sighs> We're just still every time I just don't, I don't think there's ever anything like to, to say it's just, yeah, no, not to be like grim, but, and, and like, this may come off as me being sarcastic, but like, I'm being completely serious. I would be very interested to see just in like the, what, 15 episodes, 14 episodes we've done 15. I think this is 15, right? Um, how many like casualties there are like mass shootings there have been, because I feel like every other episode we're like, Oh, not to get dark, but there was another mass shooting. And we feel like it's important to acknowledge, you know, like the communities that are affected by that. So like, it's, I don't know. It's just one of those things where you're like gun control or not. Like one of the woke people that I follow on Instagram, I don't remember who it was. It was just like, there have been 312 days of the year and there have been 304 mass shootings this year. So that means what, eight days without some type of mass shooting or death by gun violence. So I'm pretty sure every episode we've been like, I mean, the first one when we highlighted everything that happened in 2017 was like dark. And I think it's just gotten darker since then. Um, the last piece of things that I saw just a couple hours ago, and Maya, I feel like you'll be hype about this. I don't know if you already saw, but Vine is apparently being reborn um, as a new like platform and application for video looping that is to come in spring of 2019 called Byte, B-Y-T-E. All the little techie peeps have been talking about it because I guess I'm one of them. But yeah, I heard the same. I don't know, like... It was, it was kind of like a murky release kind of thing. Like, I don't think, I don't, I'm not sure that they've made any official statements, but yeah, that's what I heard. The, I think it was, I guess the founder or one of the founders or co-founders of Vine originally is the person who kind of like released the little bit of information. But other than that, there hasn't been anything else about it. So that's just very recent but something uh, to spice up your life in the future for those of you who miss Vine compilations. Uh, I The only thing I saw is that people said once we get compilations of bytes, they should be called gigabytes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and on that note, we're going to take a wee little break. All right, y'all. We are back and... I'm super excited because I am currently sitting next to one of my favorite humans in the entire world, my baby daddy, my ex-husband, but also current husband, question mark, dot, dot, dot. We'll figure it out in court. But Davian Morgan is in the hashtag stewed with us. (gasps) Oh my God, it's really me. Damien, uh, I'm so hyped that you're here. Thank you for taking out the time to sit with three basic bitches and chit chat. Three of my favorite basic bitches. Uh, hashtag be a basic bitch. <laughs> All right, Davey. So we know you and we love you, but tell the folks at home a bit about yourself. 
Um, well, again, yeah, my name is Davian Morgan. Um, grew up in D.C., but, you know, ultimately made the Black migration to Prince George's County, uh, where I spent most of my years. Um, ended up meeting all three of these beautiful basic bitches at the wonderful University of Maryland College Park. Um, since then, I've been um, teaching elementary school for the past five years um, in Washington, D.C., um, got my master's degree in education from Johns Hopkins University. Um, and most recently, um, I'm a doctoral candidate at Vanderbilt University and also um, founded a nonprofit for Black boys in D.C. Okay, so... When we met many moons ago, you were like studying criminology, criminal justice. And if I remember correctly, you're like, I'm going to work for the FBI slash CIA. I was going to be a, yes, like a secret agent. He was going to be B613. And now you've like transitioned into the world of education. Mm -hmm. So tell us a bit about how, when, why that switch happened. Yes, so multiple switches happened. Um, I came into the University of Maryland as a computer engineering major. You know, that was fun. I was <laughs> super smart. Um, stuck with that for two years, but um, at the beginning of my junior year, heart just wasn't in it anymore. I enjoyed it, but couldn't really see myself behind a desk nine to five coding all day. And there's nothing wrong with that. But for me personally, I just couldn't see myself doing it. Um, so I ended up making the switch to my second choice, which was criminal justice and criminology, uh, which I've always been into, always, always had a passion in. Um, ended up double majoring in sociology and minoring in global terrorism studies. So like you said, I just knew I was going to be the baddest bitch in the CIA, front flips, cartwheels, bulletproof vests, everything. Um, but one fateful day at the beginning of my senior year, I sat down with a Teach for America recruiter and, you know, we met up at the good old Stamp Student Union Starbucks. She got me with that um, caramel macchiato and a blueberry muffin. Mm. And we just had a conversation about educational inequity. And 10 minutes into the conversation, I just knew that this was something that I had to look more into did my research, applied, got in, and was lucky enough um, to be placed back into D.C. And the school where I currently teach at is less than 10 minutes away from where I grew up when I was a kid. So um, that was definitely a blessing in disguise um, to be able to give back to the exact community. My mom and my dad were products of DCBS. My grandmother and my grandfather were products of DCBS. Um, and I was ultimately the first person in my family to graduate from college. That's so awesome. Also, like you talking about sort of going back to where it all began for you. Mm -hmm. And then that recruit, that fateful day you met with that recruiter and they were like, hey, boy, like. Hey, you. I think we need hey, you, you. black boy. We need you. Exactly. Be a part of that 2% of black men teaching across this country. Is it only 2%? Only 2%. Only 2% of black men are teachers in this country. And then I don't know the exact percentage, but the majority of those men uh, teach secondary um, schools. So they're middle school, high school, math and the STEM teachers. So that number of black men who actually teach elementary school students is even lower. My first black male teacher was in middle school. Mm -hmm. Mine was a middle school math teacher. And until then, 
it was all women. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've been taking, so, okay, so I don't think I've talked about it on the podcast, but I've been taking, during my first semester in grad school, um, Black Education mm-hmm. Post-Civil Rights Era, um, a Black Education Post-Civil Rights Era class, excuse me, and um, basically, I think one of the things that I found interesting we were talking about the other day is that most of the Black men who go into um, the education field end up going into administrative, not administrative positions, but into like, you know, like leadership roles. So principal, superintendent, et cetera, mm-hmm. which I was wondering, like, I don't know. And not that you have the answers, but I don't know if you have any thoughts. Like, what do you, why do you think that is? If they're not going straight to leadership positions, because there's this stigma of black men, you, you can run this school and whip these kids into shape. Um, but if they're not going into leadership positions, a lot of them are in behavior-based positions. Mm-hmm. So you see them as the dean of schools or they lead security or they lead this. Because again, not the stigma that we're competent when it comes to actually educating students. It's the stigma and the stereotype that like, yes, big black man, instill fear in these children and we'll pay you to do it because, you know, I don't want to be the racist white man or the racist white woman who steps into your position and yells at a child and then everyone thinks I'm racist. But if you do it, it's totally fine. Mm. Um, So I I have seen and had the conversation of black men being shuffled into leadership positions or those directly related to like managing student behavior because of the stereotype of like, that is what we are good at. But when it comes to academic instruction, mm, I'm going to promote the white man or I'm going to promote the white woman, anybody but you. Well, I guess more so on like your, on the personal end, like how do you feel like being like a black man has like informed your approach to teaching? I would definitely say I have a a very much tough love approach. And I have to be careful when I say tough love because I'm not going in yelling at kids and saying this and that and instilling fear. Like, that's not my goal. When I say tough love, it's like, I know you can do this and I'm going to push you in every way that I can to make sure that you know that you can do this. Because for a lot of our black and brown babies, um, the self-confidence isn't there. Like I, at my school in Southeast, I, I mean, I've taught kindergarten through third grade at this point, and I've heard and seen the craziest things that kids have already started to internalize at that age. Like if they don't understand something, the first thing out of their mind, I'm dumb, I'm dumb. I can't do this. I can't do this. Why don't we do the same things that the white kids do? Um, and this is coming from kindergartners first, second, and third graders who have already internalized based on the media and things that they may hear, um, that they are not as worthy and that it's the norm for them to not be as smart. So when I set high expectations for them, they're kind of like, wait, what? Like, I can't do that. But once I show them that it's possible, they're like, oh, wait, like, I can do that. And it's those small moments and those small wins that collectively build up over time where they build their own self-confidence. They're like, wait, I'm as smart as any other kid out here. And you just needed that one person who is going to continue to push you to show you that. The thing is, you have to push them at their own pace. You have to meet them where they are. If I have learned anything as an educator, it has to start with relationships. I could give a damn about a lesson plan on that first day of school. If you do not know those kids and if those kids do not know you, they could care less about what's coming out of your mouth. I think it's so crazy because what you're saying here about the key to sort of any type of student success is to, first of all, 
look at the student as a human before you're looking at them as a student. And mm-hmm. like for me, for someone who works with uh, prim- primarily first year students in college, but students on a whole spectrum, a big part of the philosophy we take when advising students or working students is like, okay, like, why are you here? Mm-hmm. Like, how are we going to make this transition from high school to college a lot easier for you? Okay, let's talk about what your interests are. Let's talk about you as a person. Let's get to know you and then let's dig into the school part of it. And so the fact that that model is sort of being implemented here at the ground level mm-hmm. with the work that you're doing. And then it's clearly the same track that we're going on when students are transitioning into their college mm-hmm. is so crazy because I think so many students don't get that when they get here. They're sort of like, I'm in school because I have to be in school. I'm yep. this major because I want to make money or my parents want me to do this. But like, forget all that. Like, why do you want you to be here? here? What do you, how can we make this experience tailored so that you are getting the most out of being here right now? And another reason why I chose elementary school over everything else, like, um, I mean, one, middle schoolers are crazy, but you got to love them. <laughs> um, but I felt like I had to catch them early. Some, you don't want to say that sometimes things are too late and they're never too late. It's just a lot harder to change the mindset of someone once they're in high school, once they're a year away from graduating, right as they're transitioning into college. But if I can instill this sense of intrinsic motivation in third grade that will carry on with you as you get older, that's ultimately going to make your transition into something like a full-time job or college even easier mm-hmm. versus kids who are all extrinsically motivated or doing it to please someone else or to live up to someone else's expectations. They're now struggling because I feel like even when I came to Maryland as a computer engineering major, deep down inside, I wasn't really doing it for me. I got into the engineering program at that point, like Maryland's engineering program was like one of the best. And everyone's like, yes, like you're going to be the black guy in there. Like, I need you to stick it through. My mom was like, you got to stick it through. Everyone's like, you're going to be making so much money when you graduate. And I think that even though after the first semester, I was like, nope, this isn't what I want to do because I kept listening to what everyone else wanted for me because I was in this prestigious prestigious engineering program, I was like, okay, I'm going to stick through it, push through a year. I was like, still don't want to do it, push through a year and a half. And by that second year, I was like, nope, this, this is not me. I love computers. I've always had a knack for computers, but like, I have been doing this for everyone else except myself, which is why I'm stressed, which is why I'm annoyed, which is why I'm being extra petty to everyone. Genuinely unhappy. Because I'm just genuinely unhappy. And then when I actually eventually switched my major, I was genuinely happy. You know, I was going to be that bad bitch in the CIA. <laughs> but then um, that TFA recruiter got came you. through. She got me and I was like, nope, this is what I need to do. Yo, things be changing like that, though. Honestly, I feel like so many students and this is, again, going back specifically to the college level. But I mean, we all worked in an office closely with those first year students, but and I mean, Maya and I specifically with engineering students um, for a while, but I know a handful of them personally who didn't finish in the engineering major. And there, there is nothing wrong with that. Um, it's great to maybe have that aspiration or like a goal when you go in and maybe have something you want to try out, but it's definitely not the end all be all. And so many people are terrified of taking that, like maybe making that leap into something else that mm-hmm. won't please their parents or is allegedly, you know, not profitable or something like that. But uh, I just, I just feel inspired and a little bit like reaffirmed in some of my own like previous choices in college. 
through this conversation. So thanks, y'all. That's it. Because, <laughs> like, to that point, I would 100% agree that I held on to that until the very last moment because I felt like I was going to be disappointing everyone. I think that within my first two years at Maryland, I had seen so many other people of color in the engineering program drop like flies. Um, And it was so disheartening to see because it was because of so many different reasons. You have people like me who were just genuinely not into it and it wasn't what they thought it was going to be. But then you have so many people who did genuinely love it and wanted to be engineers. But then, you know, the educational inequity part comes in where, um, you know, they were high performers in high school, but because uh, their high school didn't actually prepare them for college level work, especially STEM courses, they got to UMD and were automatically placed in remedial courses, couldn't pass the remedial courses, or they did, but now you're a semester behind because you can't take Chem 135 until you take math 115 um and i've seen people's entire tracks be thrown off because they're like damn all right now i have to be in school for six years i don't have enough money to be in school for six years um but i feel like for me i got trapped in this bubble of i remember my first day of engineering classes and i was legitimately the only black boy in my class being stared at by a classroom full of white and Asian men. Like, hey, like, where are you? Even the professor giving me the side eye, like, hey, can I see your schedule? Mm-hmm. Because they they were a little confused. And I felt like I stuck with it so long because I was like, nope, I am not going to be the next Black person who drops. And then y'all say, see, I knew you couldn't handle it. Um, so that that something that, to prove. Exactly. I had something to prove. Like, no, I'm going to stick through this. But I was miserable and it it took like some long nights of just like uh, sitting at the diner after eating two trays of wings and then going home and crying. Um, But it it took a long time for me to be like, you know what? I can give a fuck what y'all think about me. I know I'm smart. I don't have to prove that to you anymore. But what I will do is prove that I need to be happy and I'm going to leave this program and do something that genuinely makes me happy. Even if that does support the stereotype you have of the minority students being accepted, but then dropping and switching to something else. If that's what you think, that's what you think. But I'm going to do what's in my best interest. Which, might I add, he excelled at. So, Thanks. Well, okay. I feel like... One, you're an educator, but two, most recently, you have also become a nonprofit founder. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you want to tell the people a little bit more about that. Um, so for a little context, um, I'm working and grew up in um, Southeast D.C. And if you know anything about the DMV, um, Southeast is the poorest ward of all eight wards. Uh, well, if we think specifically about Ward 8, where I teach in Southeast D.C., it is the poorest and lowest educated ward out of all eight wards in D.C. The majority of all the public schools are Title I schools, and they are um, majority minority. My school in particular, 98 
0.9% um, Black students and a handful of Hispanic students. Um, but something that I recognized very early on, and even to this day, is that we were um, suspending students and um, writing behavioral referrals for them at an astonishing rate. Um, and by astonishing, I'm saying like upwards into um, thousands of behavioral referrals for students by the end of the year for a school that only had about 300 students. And again, this is grades pre-K now through fifth um, as we've like opened a grade level every year. And I was like, something is not right. And at the very beginning of my teaching career, um, especially in the charter school network where things are very cut and dry, you have to do it like this, very strict on behavior, no excuses. I honestly didn't know what else to expect. It was my first year teaching. I'm like, all right, I'm just, you told me to do this. I'm not trying to get fired, so I'm going to do it. But by the end of my first year, going into my second year, I it did not feel right telling kids to sit and stare at me with their hands folded for 30 minutes at a time when I wouldn't feel comfortable with it or having them walk in the hallways with their hands by their size, with their heads one behind the other tracking forward, reminding me of what prisoners look like walking down um, a jail cell line. I think over time, those things started to build up and I have a lot of friends in education and a lot of their schools don't do it right. And a lot of their schools do. And I just took the pieces that I saw of people who were like, at my school, we do this, this and this. We still have great academic outcomes, but our students also don't feel like prisoners. Our students feel empowered. Our students are self-confident. So I'm like, OK, what can I do? for my black and brown boys in particular, who were the ones being suspended at the most disproportionate rate, what can I do for them that's gonna support them? Um, so, you know, me being me, I just watched kids and made notes of when they were getting these behavior incident referrals and were being suspended in school, out of school, um, and trickled them down into three buckets. Um, the main one being social emotional skills. Um, so social emotional skills are pretty much how are kids regulating their emotions and interacting with their peers. And it's something that a lot of our kids struggle with. So my biggest thing was setting up an after school program that provides social emotional interventions. Pretty much how do we interact with our peers? Practicing imaginary scenarios that like, if this happens, are you going to punch another student in your face? Or are you going to problem solve and are we going to talk about it? Uh, so that was the main bucket where I see students needed the most growth is that you're doing some of them are doing fine academically. Um, but when it came to challenging social situations, we're ready to pop off, especially our black boys, where you have this toxic sense of masculinity where like if you threaten me or if uh, you talk about me, you talk about my family, you look at me the wrong way. I have you cannot clown me in front of the rest of this class. I now have to be the big bad wolf and step up to you. And then five seconds later, now we have a fight that probably could have been easily resolved with the conversation. Um, the second big bucket being academic interventions. So we provide academic interventions through homework help um, and through an intervention curriculum, because then we have another bucket of students who do fine socially, um, but are acting out in class because they're struggling academically. And then the last main bucket 
um, being um, community building and team building. Um, There's this practice based on our school's mission is that we want to build civic leaders. And in order to do that, they need to be um, they need to be true community members. Um, how are we helping out the community? Are we doing canned food drives? Are we cleaning up the neighborhood? Are we doing coat drives? Are we helping other people that are in need? Um, especially with great things like the elections going on. Are we teaching kids about elections and how elections work during school, after school, so that when they grow up, all of this is not new to them? Um, but also team building. I, I think the most important thing I wanted for them um, is to build a true sense of brotherhood because even out of the boys in my group, there's about 25 who regularly attend program every Monday and Wednesday, almost a half of them have fought someone else in the group. Um, And you're not gonna have a successful and safe space if there's this bottled up animosity between someone who looks like you, talks like you, grew up like you, um, bottled up inside you while we're trying to get to know each other because then it's going to be inauthentic. Um, So there's been a lot of opportunities for us to fellowship and just hang out, talk, get to know each other. I'm like planning our first trip to go laser tagging in a couple of weeks just for them to go out, have fun and talk. And that phenomenon that you talked about is like not a foreign concept. There's a name for it. This idea of the pre-K to prison pipeline Mm -hmm. where they say that, um, there is basically a direct line of incarceration that starts for specifically young men and young men of color mm-hmm. in the pre-K, in the like the kindergarten classroom yep. where uh, preschoolers are expelled at a higher rate than any other grade mm-hmm. in elementary school where young black boys are targeted the most. I think, what was I reading? Where they're like, young black children are 3.6 times as likely as white mm-hmm. children to receive an out-of-school suspension in like kindergarten which I can't even conceptualize the idea of you telling a five-year-old, like, not only are you suspended, like, don't come back here for X number of days Mm -hmm. because of something that was probably as, and hitting is wrong. And we know that. But Mm -hmm. if I were to, like, give Timmy a shove, does that mean that I should be sent home for a week and miss out on a week's worth of education? And also think about stuff that's developmentally appropriate, yeah. especially for kids at that age. Like pushing is bad, shoving, fighting is bad. Yes. But like, is it developmentally appropriate that a four or five year old hasn't really learned how to share yet? Yes. Or to talk is about it developmentally their appropriate to suspend a five year old for a couple of days because they shoved another student? Mm, no, because what these studies also show is that these black students, these brown students are doing the same exact things Mm -hmm. that the white students are doing, but are being punished completely different. So if little Timmy shoves uh, Jamal, little Timmy's like, no, don't, don't do that. It was an accident. Okay. We called mom. We'll see you again in the morning, but let Jamal shove little Timmy. So an incident happened today. We're going to have to ask Jamal to stay at home for Timmy's safety even though it was the same exact behavior. Right. I mean, it sounds like a lot of what you try to implement through your nonprofit is kind of like the concepts that are enforced by restorative justice. I don't know if that was kind of Mm -hmm. baseline. Yeah, that's what I figured. Okay. (laughs) So I guess what are your, what are your thoughts on restorative justice? My nonprofit is targeted specifically at elementary school students because they're sponges. They're so impressionable. They're building their identities at this age. And again, it's not that it's impossible 
to change that in middle school and high school, it's just a lot tougher. But when you have this this first, second, third grader who's still trying to figure out who they are, um, you have this opportunity to be like, oh, nope. Okay. That thing you just did wrong, that thing you just did was not okay. Let's talk about it. And let's talk about why it's not okay. Not don't do this because then it becomes the shaming thing where it's like kids only stop doing things because they were shamed for it, but don't really know why they shouldn't do it. Um, but restorative justice circles, which is something we, we commonly use in my class and in the after school group is something that I recommend for, for any school. It doesn't have to just be black and brown children, but I've seen it to be very useful um, because a lot of my students, quote unquote, they have beef again, because they don't have true relationships with each other. And instead of letting that beef boil up or let the beef be squashed after they've actually had a fight, you know what, let's actually talk about it and being empathetic. Because I think that, that that's the biggest piece that I've been trying to teach my kids is that like, you're all, you're not always right. Sometimes you're going to say stuff that you, you said with good intent, that was taken diff- completely different mm-hmm. by someone else with a completely different experience. And it's your job to be empathetic and to put yourself in that student's shoes and be like, oh, like, I actually see why you got mad and upset. Like, I apologize. But we're, a lot of my students were in a place where it's just like, no, I'm right. Like, no, I'm right. If you feel that way, you feel that way. But I don't know why you feel that way. But building truly empathetic students who can empathize with each other um, is what I've seen to be a very um, successful tool in my classroom because now they're genuinely building relationships and understanding each other. I don't think we like actually name dropped your organization, which is called, what is it? Hopeful Horizons. Yes. Hopeful Horizons. Horizons. Sons, like S-O-N-S. We love a good wordplay. I play love a good pun. Wordplay. I'm here for it. But I guess I'm curious about what the buy-in was like um, from your fellow teachers, mm-hmm. from your actual students, from their families. Mm-hmm. And like, was there any um, restraint? Was anybody sort of hesitant to buy into this mm-hmm. whole programming or were you embraced by open and welcoming arms? So the great thing is, is that the demand was there. Um, it was obvious. Our students were struggling. Behavior referral and suspension numbers were through the roof. Um, I kind of like talked to some parents about it before I officially started the program. Um, me and a couple of other uh, black male teachers at my school had established a similar program before I officially started Hope for Horizons called Lunch with the King, where um, we would meet with our students who struggled the most behaviorally and academically during lunchtime. Um, two or three days out of the week and have these restorative justice circles. Um, But over time, I wanted it to expand a little bit more because we were maybe only meeting with about 10 10 kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was a very limited block of time, like a 20 minute lunch block. But I eventually had a conversation once I had like worked out the nitty gritty things on how I wanted to plan to work. had met with my principal. He was on board. Other teachers were 100% on board. Um, had officially got the nonprofit um, up and rolling um, over the summer so that by the time school started, was sending out permission slips. Um, the great thing is, is, is I'm pretty sure that within the first week, I got about 
45 to 50 signed permission slips for wow. students. Um, and the demand is still there. We still have 25 students who come regularly. Um, and the only reason we don't have more students is typically because of a conflict of schedules. Mm-hmm. Uh, we only meet Mondays and Wednesdays after school and there's other students who have tutoring or football practice that kind of clashes with our time. Um, but I think that the greatest thing that's happened since the start of the organization is the um, support that I've received in terms of capital and in terms of coaching. Um, So I'm a member of um, 4.0 Schools Tiny Fellowship. Um, So 4.0 Schools is essentially um, a think tank, an incubator, a fellowship for young entrepreneurs, um, especially those of color, who have these new ideas for transforming the education space. Um, But we were given $10,000 in capital funding to get the ball rolling. Um, And I met with, had the opportunity to brainstorm and collaborate uh, with, I believe, 20 other fellows to share ideas, um, to get feedback. And um, every two weeks, I meet with my coach virtually, who just checks in, we go over um, we go over the metrics that we set for the program or how to measure is this actually working? Um, because again, it, it's naive to just go into a program and just believe like this is the fix. Um, so right now we're currently only operating at one school, which is the school that I teach at, but the goal is to expand to several other similar schools, um, particularly in Southeast DC, um, who we could partner with. I know for me, like growing up, reflecting back on like my elementary education, I think I had the teachers I needed for like what I needed in that time. And as the needs of students continue to develop and change over time, I think it's so important that the way that teachers approach teaching sort of matches the way that student need develops over time. And so based on just like the things that I see where you're, you're very, um, open about like celebrating the students in your classroom. And so I don't know if y'all saw it, but Davian had a very viral mannequin challenge with his classroom, (laughs) which is just like, if you think about it, kids these days, they're on, they have phones, they're on social Mm -hmm. media. And so when you do things like this, that keeps them engaged and sort of connects with them again on that human level where you're like, I know you're seeing this online, like, let's do it in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Let's keep it fun. I think that's such a great way to keep school fun and interesting and not just this place they have to go to for eight hours a day where they're being like stared at and yelled at and given work and then sent home like you're like keeping these kids engaged in such a healthy and meaningful way and I think you're also very humble um, with your approach and that you are very celebrated in the world of TFA where I know you've gotten awards Davian (laughs) I won't put you on the spot but I think you are sort of what I want my kids to have, my future kids in the classroom when they grow up. I want a teacher who cares about my future children, my little cousins and things like that in a way beyond that's just like, I'll know your name for this year and then I'll forget Mm -hmm. about you. And so I think it's so important that educators like you exist in the classroom today so that the future and this this, uh, generation of kids is getting the attention that they deserve and they need to be as successful as possible in the future. Thank you. Oh, I got that tingly feeling in my heart. I think that also speaks to how important it is to have black teachers in the classroom or just teachers of color in the classroom, because we understand what it means to not be like considered as the norm. Um, like even a lot of these studies and everything that are done, it, it white students are used as kind of the unspoken baseline. 
um, for what the standard is for other students to either live up to or whatever, mostly because it's students of color always looked at from a deficit model, but like, don't get me on my education soapbox. Um, it's, I think it's just the fact that you can pay attention to what students are like doing and what what's important to them or what's relevant to them culturally, like socially. So doing the mannequin challenge or writing a song for them that like will actually help them remember their, you know, their sight words or whatever it is that you're working on that week. That's just something that I feel like only people who have had the experience of not having a teacher who understands where you come from and what you bring to the classroom um, are is like capable of implementing in their classroom. So I just, I think it's really important like that you just exist. So congrats. Oh, thank you. <laughs> More tingly feelings. Yes. Congrats on existence just in general. I mean, you, you've brightened up our lives in you know, the short period of it that we were blessed to know you during. So like Maya said, and like Ajane has reiterated and only to like retweet times a thousand. I'm really glad that there are people like you uh, out there that are working, you know, and passionate about improving the lives of their students and everything. That's just beautiful and amazing. And uh, in the climate of things that are somehow under the control of Betsy DeVos or whatever, like, thank God for you. I want you to properly plug your organization again and like where can people go to support to learn more information sort of give us all the deets yes so again the organization is called hopeful horizons um but not the traditional horizons with a z um it's horizons with an s um because all of our little black boys and brown boys are someone's sons um you can follow us on twitter and instagram at hopeful horizons um as well as on Facebook with the same handle as well. Check up all of our updates. We definitely plan on doing some community events in the future. Um, but as of right now on our page, we definitely have a fundraiser going on. Uh, Giving Tuesdays coming up soon. Um, and we're trying to reach our fundraising goal um, to plan our next big community building trip. I call dibs on coming to laser tag. <laughs> Maya's going to push all those kids down. <laughs> oh my god I teaching them resilience <laughs> this is life <laughs> so y'all you heard it here uh keep your eyes and ears peeled uh and be on the lookout for more things from davian and hopeful horizons and all the dope stuff they're gonna do uh and we will actually be taking a quick break and we'll be back with you know some good old classic tings for you All right, friends, we're back. We did not let Davian leave yet. So we're going to subject him to more of our chit chat. But first and foremost, uh, I'm going to send it over to Brandon, who has been anointed with selecting the ass of the week. Brandon, what you got for us? Uh, a vision just came to me uh, and I was really inspired. So I'm excited about it. Um, so somebody that... I've super enjoyed since he first kind of came out on the scene and on the telly and stuff. Um, I believe he kind of started rising to prominence as a correspondent on the daily show. And as of this like past week or two, he has his own show on Netflix. So y'all might know who I'm talking about. It is Hassan Minaj. And we are yes. fucking hype about it. I just tweeted about him um, like earlier in the week. Cause after watching his show, so the new special um, it's like, 
kind of in the style of one of like the political satire, like late night shows, but it comes on Netflix and there's a new episode like every Sunday, I believe is how it's going to go. It's called, oh my God, what is it called? The Patriot Act. Yes, the Patriot Act. Thank you so much. But he's just like a good looking guy. He has, I noticed, at least for me, when I'm like watching the show, I was like, he has huge hands. And I just want him to like pick me up in them <laughs> and hold me close. Um, I think he has like a super handsome face. His hair is always like perfect. Um, and he's just like, he's funny. He's tall or he's seen, he looks really tall. Like he's got to be at least six something, right? He's tall as shit. Is he? I thought he was a small. Or maybe really? He looks so tall, but so many people look tall on TV. Um, yeah. But basically I just, I just love him. And I'm, he's like super cute and he like loves his boo thing wife person. He loves her um, so much. I was just going to say, have you watched Homecoming King? Yes. When he talks about, well, he talks about like, the disastrous like prom slash homecoming situation, but then talks about like meeting his now wife and like their struggle to like wanting to be together. I shed a thug tear. (laughs) Uh, Yes. But like long story short, like shout out to him for getting his own show. Um, Y'all should watch it. If you haven't, Um, if you like things like late night with John Oliver and like Trevor Noah, um, Stephen Colbert, all that good stuff. It's definitely worth watching. I think it's also great that to have that representation um, in this format of show for someone who is Indian, Muslim, um, American, his parents are immigrants and all that. Like, this is just like, he's, he's great. So if you're not hip already, get hip. Also his, uh, what's it called? Little crossover with Tan France of Queer Eye made my day. If you haven't seen it, you should also watch that. It's very hilarious. He, def- they talk about being a fuck boy and Tan Brandt doesn't know what it is. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm into it. I'm into it. I don't think you'll get any, um, naysayers on this end. Yeah. That's that on that. <laughs> well then I guess the last thing for us to sort out this episode is our bop. So Davian, as we mentioned to you before, we have been giving our guests this season, the honor of, you know, picking our bop of the week. So if there's a song on your spirit, let us know. So there's actually two, two songs on my spirit, which show both oh, he's split pull, he's sides. He's pulling an Evan. He's pulling an Evan doing are, two songs. That are split on both <laughs> sides of my personality. So of course we have uh, my boo Ari, who just dropped Thank You Next yes. earlier this <sighs> week, which I am absolutely in love with and blast on the highest level of bass on the highest sound level on my way to work every morning. But then we also have Cardi B's Money, which is the most ratchet song that I've heard in a very long time and shows the ratchet side of my personality. But if I were to have to choose, (gasps) if I were to have to choose, I would have to go with Thank You, Nick. Thought I'd end up with Sean, but it wasn't a match. Wrote some songs about Ricky, now I listen and laugh Even almost got married, and for Pete I'm so thankful Wish I could say thank you to Malcolm, cause he was an angel One taught me love, one taught me patience, and one taught me pain yeah. It speaks to my spirit We would have let you have both, but we're glad you made a decision <laughs> You know I'm fine with both. And also because as you know, your fellow Pisces and birthday sharing twin, um, that just shows your duality and that you have many sides. Oh, yeah. We did not sides. talk about the fact that y'all have like 
the same, same birthday. birthday. Oh, wow. I didn't because know that. Because it was meant to be. Small yeah. fun fact. Yes, but Ari, I mean, she has just been, she's had a tumultuous, I think, year in uh, some like change. Years at this point, mm-hmm. honestly. Yeah, but I also didn't realize how many relationships she's been in since like 2015. Yes, right. Who is Ricky? Back, yeah, that's back, what I wanted back. to know. Which, well, Ricky was during the donut licking. That's the guy she was oh. with when she licked the donuts. Yeah. But um, an icon. Thank you, Next, actually pushed me to go back and listen to Sweetener like in mm-hmm. full. That is such a good, good album. And I'm hype. I may or may not have. Uh, decided to go to the sweetener tour with a certain someone who lives a certain couple of states away <laughs> because financial planning is not my strong suit. <laughs> so we're going to have a great time. I'm into it. I'm excited. Hashtag thank you next. Hashtag RIP Mac Miller. Good choice, Davey. Thank you. Oh, well, folks, sad news. The show's over. Moment of silence. Okay, that's done. I cry. Um, I cry every time. I want to just say again, Davian, thank you so, so, so much. Um, I feel like I've learned so much just from like sitting here and absorbing all of your knowledge <laughs> about being an educator and your love for just the future and tiny humans, you know, I love tiny humans better than big humans. And I think you just nurture them in a way that is so necessary. And so from one future mother to one educator, Mm -hmm. thanks for teaching my kids. Thanks baby. Please still be a teacher. Um, when my kids go to school (laughs) also, yeah. When I previously say that Davian was the father of my children, we, um, May or may not have predicted that Kim was going to name her daughter Northwest. It happened. We played Kim and Kanye for a month, for three, two months two in a months. skit. So well, I played a pregnant Kim. I gave birth. Davian carried the child because he's a feminist as Kanye. Thank and you. this was before Kanye lost his mind. So we're just really connected spiritually. But yes, thank you so, so much for being here and talking to us and sharing with us. And we heart you. Oh, thank you. Oh, it's such a privilege to hang out virtually and in person with three of my favorite basic bitches. Yeah, and we'll link all the things. So y'all, if you have, you know, if you have a spare dollar or two, you donate it to the horizon. Do okay. it. Do it. It's for the FTK. kids. <laughs> so, y'all, we will catch you in two weeks with our next guest. Who is it going to be? It's a mystery, mainly because we don't know either. We just like to keep it edgy and spicy here at Diet Starts Monday. But until then, I am Maya. I'm Aj. I'm Brandon. <laughs> I'm so stressed by both of you. We will see you guys later. Hashtag love you. Bye. Bye. This week's episode of Die Starts Monday was produced and edited by Maya Dawi with production support from the entire DSM squad. Our theme song was written and performed by Brandon Schatt. You can find episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at DSM Pod or on Facebook at Die Starts Monday Podcast. Okay, we did it. 
Yeah. <laughs> We're done, right? <laughs> no, no, we didn't say goodbye. Oh, shit.